Are you upset that the fantasy football season is over? Don't be. Because with the start of the NFL playoffs comes the Born in 87 Fantasy Football Playoff Challenge. It is a fantasy football challenge where you pick one player from each of the 14 NFL playoff teams and try to rack up as many points as you can to win. For more information, email bornin87pod at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of the Born in 87 podcast, our final episode of Most likely 2020. Final. There could be something crazy. The, the Knicks could trade Julius Randle. Maybe Adam Gase gets fired. There could be a reason for us to come back for an emergency. It's our well, final record- scheduled podcast. <laughs> we are recording this podcast on the evening of Tuesday night, December 29th. So uh, it would take something pretty major to happen over the next 48 hours for us to record. I mean, I guess the Jets announced awesome. today that uh, Adam Gase will be uh, gone after uh, the Week 17 game against the Was it the official announcement? I thought it was a rumor on Twitter. I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe, our, uh, maybe, maybe today's guest can uh, tell us uh, whether it was... He, he's, he's, he's a bit of a Twitter expert. Maybe he can tell us if there's a rumor or a confirmed fact. Uh, it's recurring guest Ross Green. How are you doing today? Hey guys, excited to be back. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you here. Yeah, you previously heard Ross as a part of our mega Screw You Wilpon episode. But uh, the reason we have, and I guess we'll use this to uh, talk about, to mention what we are going to talk about today, and that is, since this is our final planned podcast of 2020, in fitting Met, Jet, and Nick fashion we are going to count down the 10 worst sports moments of 2020 for these three teams uh we want to say that we are keeping this again strictly sports um there's a lot of other bad stuff that happened this year but we're yeah i think most people had a pretty crappy 2020 but yeah we'll we'll keep it uh we'll keep it directly with these with sports and again directly with these three teams ross my brother-in-law uh, the, probably the reason he's my brother-in-law. I think I'm pretty sure that's why uh, my sister uh, married him because he roots <laughs> for these three terrible teams. <laughs> but um, oh man, <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, as I said, we are going to count down the ten worst moments of the year for these teams. Uh, before we get into that, though, Ross, uh, what do you think? Is, is this gay stuff? Is is it officially confirmed or is this uh, Twitter fodder? So what happened? A couple. This is around eight fifteen at night. I'd say probably around two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Twitter started blowing up, and it's actually Craig Carton on the radio. He made an announcement saying um, Christopher Johnson made it known internally that Gase will be let go. So he, he made that announcement on the radio, and of course, then Twitter world started exploding on it. Is this legit? Is this legit? Some people are hearing it. As you can see, you guys weren't sure because it's it hasn't gotten to the big media just yet, but it's starting on Twitter. So the news is I just, rumbling. If, if Craig Carton said it, I don't believe it. I don't think he has any sources inside the Jets. I I just don't think there's any. I mean, I don't think... I think it's an easy thing to lie about because Adam Gase is going to get fired after the game on Sunday. <laughs> so you could just totally make it up now and then pretend that you knew. I just... He's, right. he's no, a fair liar. Enough. Didn't he get fired for doing something unethical? Like, there's, just, there's no but way he that he has is the first person to start saying that it's happening next week. So at least, is. at least someone's talking about it because 
it kind of what the Jets won two in a row now, and now oh, people it. aren't talking about Gase on the chopping block. So I think even if whether it's true or not, at least at least people are starting to talk about Gase's heads back on the chopping block. I think by Joe the Douglas time people listen enough. to this, Adam Gase will be fired, and this will seem like a ridiculous conversation. And maybe someone. And you know what? If that's true, I'll be a very happy man. So. There's no way he comes back. I I would bet so much money. Um, maybe Adam Gase being fired could, uh, will, will pop up on maybe 2021 will be such a good year for our teams. I'm knocking on wood that uh, Adam Gase being fired will make our best events of 2021 list uh, a year from now. There wasn't enough good. There weren't, I don't think there were 10 good things that happened to, there, to our teams this year. Five. I don't think we could make a top 10 list. Steve uh, Cohen would be the top seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe the top, maybe the top nine, and uh, I, I don't know. Throw in uh, Makai Becton being good as number ten. I, I don't know. That, that might be it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Jets, though, before we get into our list, uh, we do want to talk about one thing that's current. So this past week, the Jets did win their second straight game in a row. Something, uh, if you've been listening to our podcast all uh, year, Adams been saying. Just watch this Jet team. They're not that bad. They're going to win some games here toward the end. I think I threaded a pretty like tiny needle here because at the beginning of the season, I said they were going to be bad and probably only win two games. And then at the end of the season, I said they're bad, but they're still probably going to win two games. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. And now they're probably going to win three. They might. I was off by a game. I'm probably the only Jet fan in the, the East <laughs> Coast who's like, oh, they're I got under their win total, right? <laughs> um. Anyways, though, uh, with with their win over the Cleveland Browns this past Sunday, they they uh, secured the fact that they will be picking second in the NFL draft this year, which means they missed out on Trevor Lawrence, which means everybody and their mother is saying, what will the Jets do with the second pick? Some people say they need to take a quarterback. Some people t- say this they should be taking Sewell. conversations on Twitter because they're going to take a quarterback. This is what I believe too, but uh, one thing we want to talk about real quick and something that popped up in our uh, uh, group me uh, jets thread with all of our friends is that uh, Adam, you made a comment that you thought. Well, can I, a can I ju- make my own case for it? Use my own words. Justin, no, go ahead. Is that okay. Adam. Yes. Oh, thanks. You- so people were having and hawing about what they thought the jets should do. And I said, they should take a quarterback at second, which they will do. I would, I would bet a lot of money on that and then keep Darnold. And then I was ridiculed and called terrible things and made to feel bad about my intelligence. And I, I think, I don't, I think you could trade Darnold for a third round pick. Um, but I also don't see any reason to get rid of him for a third. Most people were saying they wanted to trade down and get all that draft capital. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and I also don't think the jets are going to have a chance to pick second again in a, in a class with a bunch of good quarterbacks. So I think they're going to take a quarterback and why get rid of Darnold now? So let's say, you're disappointed with the quarterback you draft and you still have Darnold, or let's say you want to give him a little more time to, to, you know, develop, you start Darnold. Let's say Darnold exceeds your expectations. You can maybe get more than a third round pick for him. Then I don't really see a need to get rid of him there. They, they have a ton of needs on the team, but they also have a ton of cap space and a ton of draft capital. So you might be able to get more by waiting a little bit and being patient. So I don't see any reason to get rid of Darnold. Maybe it is just the system and maybe he looks wonderful next year. And then you have two really good quarterbacks Great. That's a wonderful problem to have. So I just, I don't see any reason to move off him now. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. If you're taking a quarterback with the second overall pick in the draft, that that is going to be your quarterback, or at least what you hope to be your quarterback of the future. And I, d- I just don't think it 
does anybody any favors keeping Sam Darnold around. If you keep him around, he knows that no matter how well he plays, he's going to end up getting traded somewhere else. The Jets are Who going cares? to move off of him. And if you're an NFL quarterback, you need to be able to be good. Even I just think it's a huge distraction in camp. Like a lot of people, oh look, oh here's the quarterback controversy. We got Sam Darnold, we got Justin Fields, or Zach Wilson, or whoever. And also, the Jets just have such a bad reputation around the NFL. I just think it's a good move to do right by Sam Darnold and just just move on. If you're drafting a quarterback with the second overall pick, just move on from him. Get the third round pick or whatever you can get for him. And that's it. Cause clearly he's not a part of your future. I don't think, and I, I think if you have a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields or, you know, even if they were to trade, I, I just think if another quarterback is there that's being taken with the second pick in the draft, he's looking over his shoulder. And I think the chances of him significantly raising his draft stock are very small. I know what happened with Drew Brees. You can succeed with someone over your shoulder. It, you shouldn't be in the NFL. And something I just think very he, I smart, just think move off of my I, I, I just don't see any real benefit to keep a lot of the I smart teams now are trying to get a good young quarterback in addition to a good veteran quarterback, knowing that quarterbacks are expensive. You can get rid of the old expensive one. Um, something that's been floated around the NFL for a while now is like drafting someone who's really good and then just not giving them their second contract and bring in someone else because rookies, rookie scout QBs are so valuable. I there's I like you saw the but no one's actually really the Eagles done do that, it though. I did. Maybe the Jets will be the team to do it. I have a couple of thoughts on this. All right. Yes. Go ahead, Ross. So first thing is, unfortunately, it really sads me to say, I don't think Darnold's the dude. I really wished he would be, but it doesn't look like it's happening. Yes. He really hasn't had the right weapons. Yes. His coach has been horrendous. He's gone through coaching changes. He hasn't been put in the best situation. But I don't think he's the dude. With that said, what concerns me about not trading him now is I don't think his value is ever going to be higher. And unfortunately, it's not that high. But if, let's say, we hold on to him and draft another quarterback, he's going to be the backup. So what we're going to get for him now, probably not as much as we'd get then. Now, talking about the quarterbacks on the board versus trading down versus taking perhaps a tackle at two. Haven't made up my mind on that yet. I think there's a couple things in play. First things first is Ohio State's playing Clemson. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge game for Fields. Um, I don't think Ohio State's going to win. So let's see what he can do against some really good competition. If he shows off, then yeah, I think he's worth that second pick. If not, maybe we trade down. Maybe we get a tackle. Maybe we stick with Darnold. I don't know. But I think the answer is not Zach Wilson. Reason why I feel that is, first of all, I just saw him play my alma mater, UCF, on ESPN last week, and he crushed us. He put up 350 yards, threw for three touchdowns, ran for two touchdowns, and everyone's going to look at those numbers, look at videos from that game, and be like, oh my God, Zach Wilson's a monster. I need to stop you right there. I need to tell everyone to stop right there. The defense (laughs) that UCF put out for that game was atrocious. These guys, A lot of them were third stringers, and I'd say at least half of the team defense weren't playing four games ago. They weren't starting four games ago. Um, We had a lot of injuries. Guys opted out. uh, Guys that were entering the draft, and four starters just got kicked off the team. So, yes, he lit us up, but it was against a defense that 
these guys aren't good. Um, also, our offensive coordinator is about to be let a uh, defensive coordinator is about to be let go. So I think those numbers are inflated. I think some of the throws he made were inflated. And the other concern with him is he's gotten pressured in the pocket the least um, in college football. It's not his fault, but he's been the best protected quarterback. He, BYU's offensive line is fantastic. So he's majority of the time throwing from a clean pocket. We really haven't seen him much throwing under pressure. Um, when he has thrown under pressure, he's done pretty good, but he just really hasn't been with these dudes coming at him. So I think that's what we'll see with Fields against Clemson is he's going to see he's going to be seeing pressure all night. Um, so it's important to see how he does. And I think with a good showing, I'd be confident to say, all right, let's go after him. But I, I'm just I'm not trusting Fields. He's having uh, I'm not trusting Wilson. He's having a really good year, but his last two years weren't that great. So those are my thoughts on that. Is it also fair to say Zach Wilson hasn't fit in addition to his bowl game against your alma mater UCF? He hasn't faced the best competition this season. Right. So he's not facing good competition. And that's, you know, that's a tribute to BYU's offensive line that these guys aren't getting after him. So when you're playing not great teams that with no pressure, I mean, yeah, if you're a semi-decent quarterback, you're going to make those throws. But are you worth the second overall pick? I don't know about that. Yeah, uh, I, I think I agree with you on Fields. Uh, also, I, one thing which I hope Joe Douglas will be smart enough about if, if he likes Justin Fields is that it felt like before the Northwestern game, everybody was saying Justin Fields is the clear-cut number two guy in this draft. He's going to get drafted second by you know whoever ends up with the second pick, the Jets or Jacksonville. And uh, then all of a sudden he has one bad game with a throwing injury – or sorry, with a th- – an injury to his throwing hand. And now all of a sudden people are down on him. I I have a feeling uh, general managers will be smart enough to look past that. And again, as you said, hopefully uh, if he's feeling better, um, he looks better in the Clemson game and he, he alleviates a lot of those concerns. I think everyone's uh, overthinking of it. You don't have a quarterback. You're picking second. You take the draft one. one. (laughs) And what you also do, what needs to be said is, we got to surround him with some weapons. I mean, Mims is looking good, but there are some incredible receivers that are going to be free agents. Chris Godwin, Juju, Kenny Galladay. Juju? Yeah. A-Rob. Give me any one of them to pair with a quarterback and Mims and Crowder, and we got a receiving core. And if Rashad's probably not back. Yeah, well, I think we Rashad have... is back, and I think the team's going to be good. I think they're going to have good receivers next year. Um, let's get into what we're doing today. We'll have a lot of time to talk. Yeah, we about have them. all. We're going to have a long off season to talk about what the Jets should do. But we, we did think that, given that the Jets uh, solidified their draft position this past week, uh, we wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about what they should, you know, maybe do with that second pick and you know, the future quarterback situation. But without any further ado, as we said, this is our final planned podcast of 2020. And we want to talk about what are the 10 worst moments for the Mets, Jets, and Knicks from this. And just we're going to start with lovely the 10th year and then work to one. Correct. Correct. Uh, now, Ross has been no, we have let Ross know what the 10 uh, events were that are going to be on this list. He does not know the order, though. So uh, th- that will be a surprise to Ross. So uh, without any further ado, uh, let's begin. Number 10, uh, we're going with an event from the New York Mets season. This was an event from July 25th, 2020. It was the second game of 
the Mets season. It looked as though the Mets were going to start the year 2-0 against the almighty Atlanta Braves, and then Edwin frickin' Diaz blow, gives up a home run to Marcel Azuna, blows the game, and it, it sucked, and it was sort of a precursor for a lot Everything of what would happen this year with Edwin Diaz. Uh, uh, anything you want to add there, Adam? I just, so Edwin Diaz is going to appear twice in this list. And I just want to take a shot at everyone on Twitter who thinks Edwin Diaz is good right now because he's not. And I don't, I literally, I don't understand the people who are like, I don't get it. Look at the statistics. He's, I love statistics. Also, I, but every time he, he has to close a close game, he blows it. That's the statistic I care about. So get off it. Maybe if he pitches at the sixth or the seventh, he'll be great, but he is not a closer right now. And he cannot be closing meaningful games. Yeah, I mean, he he showed this very early on. I even remember he had a save situation that first game of the year, and he almost blew it. I remember, yep. uh, uh, I think it was uh, Freddie Freeman just missed a home run by, like, inches on day one. And then day two, he gives up the home run to Azuna. Uh, the guy, I mean, people were saying, oh, he only blew four games last year. Yeah, four games in a 60-game season. That's like blowing uh, 10 or 11 games over the course it's of a regular like he season. always came in in the ninth inning. Yeah, I mean, there were times they even asked him to save, like, not even a full ninth inning. Like, oh, come in and get one out, and he couldn't do right. it. I mean, I, I I don't get it. We've, Adam, me and you have gotten into so many fights with people on Twitter I don't about Edwin Diaz. I don't understand the Edwin Diaz love. I think uh, there's two years in a row they would have made the playoffs if they had a competent closer. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Ross, what are your thoughts about us putting this at number 10? Well, I'm honestly shocked there's... Edwin Diaz love on Twitter. There's that's, a lot of it. That's that's terrible. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. People is, love Edwin Diaz. Terrifying. Even like SNY and the Mets try to defend it, but I'll be like, oh, look at Edwin Diaz. Look at the heat. Uh, oh, he's got a great ERA. Yeah, because uh, yeah, but if he probably leads the league in uh, inherited runners to score. Ugh, so their defense is so this normally sounds like a smart defense. So they say like it's a small sample size. You know, if you take the law of large numbers, his ERA is very, and you sound very smart when you say the word sample size. But the thing about closers is I don't really care about your sample size. Every single time you come in, you need to be lights out because there's not that many games you need to come in and be great in. And um, I think I, I actually remember this game because I, I, I remember texting Justin after the first game when they put him in and we were like, oh my God, are they actually going to put him back as the starter, uh, as the closer? And then the second game happens and we're like, they're not going to bring him back in, are they? He pitched yesterday. You don't need to put him back two days in a row. They put him back two days in a row. And we'll just look at that. He blows a save. And I think this was this was obviously a combination of the Wilpons and Brody, their horrible trade for Edwin Diaz. After it didn't pay off year one, they had to somehow try and think that it's going to pay off year two and send him back out for his closers role because we sold the farm for him. And all right, he gets to keep this role and just pathetic. Like we knew it was going to happen. And it, well, it didn't happen the first game. Like Justin said, it happens the second game. Okay, fine. Go to extra innings. Well, of course this is the COVID season. They add the rule that you start with a player at second base to start extra innings. And if anyone's a Mets fan, they know, okay, the Mets are starting. You know, the Braves get a man on second. The Mets are winning this game. And the Braves put up two. The Mets put up one. We lose and just completely sets the tone for the year. And he's exactly who we thought he was. And he was that way the whole season. I am still an Edwin Diaz optimist. Like, I wouldn't drop him for nothing. Like, I think he, I would trade he's him still, for nothing. 
Yeah, I would he's still young. He's got him. great, like he does have great stuff. And like when nothing matters, he looks wonderful. Like I, maybe he still has a career, but but in New York right now, I would everything matters. So he's got to. Go. He, he's too shook. He's too shook for New York. I mean, the fact that he was a guy that Brody Van Wagenen brought in, and what you've seen with with, uh, with Sandy, and I mean, I guess we'll see what Jared Porter does. I mean, I, I don't think Jared Porter's actually made any moves yet. Like the two moves they made were done by Sandy. The uh, the signing of a uh, May he's made a lot and, of non moves. Uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> point being is the first thing Sandy did was fire Brody, and has it seems as though he showed he's he doesn't have any sort of allegiance to any sort of person that Brody brought in. And while I do expect Edwin Diaz to be on this roster on opening day, I, I don't, if, if Edwin Diaz struggles again this year, and I fully expect him to because he's struggled for two years in big spots. I don't see what's going to change in 2021. I do I think, think they though, have a much that, better organization and I think he might actually do well, but I don't think he'll be closing. And I think they know not to do that with him. Hopefully. And maybe they'll put him in better spots to succeed. I think if they like always just had him start an inning and that inning was like the sixth or the seventh, he could be really good. I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to bring in Hendricks or hand. And I think he'll be coming in the sixth or seventh inning. Yeah. And like you said, yeah, then with may Hendricks or hand and uh, Lugo, there's your seventh, eighth, ninth innings. Right. No, I think Edwin Diaz is going to be really good as a middle reliever this year. Um, I just, I wouldn't have him closing. I would never have. And I would never bring him in with runners on base. And I wouldn't exactly. All right, let's move on. So, yeah, we, we all hate Edwin Diaz. Uh, he His home run to Marcelo Zuna in the second game of the season makes number 10 on our worst moments of the year list. At number nine, we're going to a Knicks moment. Uh, you might say a Knicks moment. Uh, they, they barely played this year. They didn't make the bubble. They were so bad. But uh, we're going to pick something that happened, uh, I, I guess, technically while the bubble was going on. And uh, we're going to go to lottery night, August 20th, 2020. The Knicks, despite having the sixth worst record in basketball last season, somehow ended up with the eighth pick in the draft. Uh, just typical Knicks lottery luck. Uh, we were super annoyed about it. Me and Adam posted uh, our live reactions as a podcast as this was happening. You you heard the uh, disgust in our voice. It was like, really? If, if just like every year. And it's just like, really, NBA, you have to be like in this post-David Stern world. We have to be so honest. Like every year, the Minnesotas. Well, and the, the other thing is the bad teams who picks. aren't like teams move up all the time in the draft now. So we just kind of assume that, oh, the Knicks would probably end up moving up right there. The Knicks, this is going to happen. Things are changing. But no, they, they fell back. Um, the other I thing just, too I, is like, yes, the Knicks are completely incompetent, but these other incompetent organizations seem to get a lot of lottery luck. Now, maybe they don't do a lot with that lottery luck, but like That's Minnesota won the lottery this year. They also won the Carl Anthony Towns lottery. Cleveland, LeBron, they win the lottery in 2003 with LeBron James. Then LeBron James leaves and they win the lottery three out of four years. Like, it just feels like there's a lot of other teams that keep continually getting this lottery luck and it's never the Knicks. So what I will say about this is I really think the reason we were so sad is we're, we're still kind of hung up on Zion and the fact that we didn't get Zion or John Morant, like falling from six to eighth, like this was probably the best draft to do that in. Um, it seems like James Wiseman will probably be the best player out of this draft. They didn't, they weren't going to pick him because they have Robinson. I don't think LaMelo, I don't know. He, he might end up being good. He might've been fun in New York, but I don't think he's going to be like a super duper star. So they, they may have ended up with like the, the third or fourth best player in top and it's still early. Um, yeah. And then the player who may ended up being the best out of all of them, Tyrese Halliburton, they could have had, and they just, they chose not to. 
So I, I, I think that- I, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, I'm, I'm very happy with Obi Toppin. It's just, but in the moment, it was in definitely, the moment, right. but it, it was, it was, but it was kind of like, I, like I said, out of all the drafts that we've followed, this is probably not a bad one to fall back in because once there wasn't really like a top tier, but there were a bunch of really good like role players. So yeah, which I, is I feel why good I think this is at, which is why I think this is at nine because uh, it's at the end of the day it wasn't that awful, but it, I guess bad enough to make our top ten. I mean, put it this way: we it was bad enough where we posted an emergency podcast about it. <laughs> I was really sad about it. Just in hindsight, it doesn't look as bad. Well, what's Sorry. Also- <laughs> What's also nuts is it's we haven't moved up not even one spot since 1985, the Patrick That's Ewing draft. It's two years in a row that we've moved down, um, and fourth time in the last five lotteries that we moved down. So out of our five last five lotteries, we've stayed the same once and moved down. Four other times. I mean, this luck, that's almost impossible to happen. I, I don't know the odds, but come on. Um, what's also, yes, it was frustrating, but like you guys said, this wasn't the strongest draft. So it, it wasn't as hurtful as last year. Last year was just, it seemed like we it was the worst thing because first of all, we had the worst record last year. So you'd think we'd have the best odds. Well, last year was when they changed the odds so that the top <laughs> right. three top three worst teams have all the same amount of odds. So now, okay, we're the worst team fine, but we have the same odds as two other teams and we drop from first to third um, in what people said was a two person draft. However, RJ is looking pretty good this year. So this year, uh, not recently. He had a good first game. His free throw percentage has gone up, but he's, he's, his field goal percentage is not. And it's hard to think he'll ever be Zion Williamson or John Morant. Agreed. But those are just so, two generations. Last players. year was painful. This year, obviously frustrating. It's classic Knicks. It happened. They've. W- with this being said, every year of my life I've been alive, I've never seen the Knicks move up in the lottery. So is that good? <laughs> and hopefully next year it doesn't matter because the draft is so loaded. They just end up with someone good. Yeah. Hopefully. So I, I think I think that's about as uh, much as we need to discuss about uh, lottery night for the Knicks. Uh, moving on, number eight, we're, we're going, and I, I think you'll see this as a theme as we continue to go through our uh, ten worst moments. That uh, this is going to be a bit Met heavy. Because uh, they're the only team that could have disappointed. Because the other two teams are so bad. It's true. We, we had legitimate expectations. Right. Yeah, I mean there were legitimate expectations for the Mets this year, especially when baseball announced that eight teams were going to make the playoffs and it was like how could the Mets not make the playoffs when eight out of the 15 National League teams are getting in and somehow the Mets didn't make it we're going to get into a bunch of those reasons this evening yes uh and one of those is right here uh going back to uh August 10th 2020 uh Marcus Stroman opts out of the season uh as you all remember uh Marcus Stroman he gets hurt right before the start of the season in July, but they're telling us, oh, it's going to be a short injury. He'll be back soon. And then all of a sudden on August 10th, uh, as he had every right to do, but he ends up opting out of the season uh, due to COVID. And it was just, it was upsetting because, you know, with Marcus Stroman was going to be our number two starter. And as, as we saw, there was a huge drop off after him. And we saw a lot of really bad starting pitching. This is another uh, one that looks really different in hindsight. Because remember in the moment, we were so mad. We Cespedes had just opted out. I mean, Syndergaard had been hurt a while before that. We were all kind of like, well, they could survive because they have Stroman. And Stroman will get healthy. And he loves being on the bats. He's from Long Island. And then he opted out. I, I mean, I think everyone has the right to opt out due to COVID. 
But I, I think in the back of all of our mind was like the Mets contribute to players' injuries. He's a free agent. I we were all questioning whether this was a hundred percent COVID um, or was it just, I want to get away from that. So I guess is also at that time, a perfectly valid reason, but in hindsight, he opted in for this upcoming season. Um, so I, I feel differently about it now, right? Cause he's, he's still, he's still a man. I still want to be good. And maybe he, he really just wanted to do what's best for his family. And so you have to respect that. It, it, it stunk and it like made us feel like our rotation never was going to get anywhere near where we hoped it would. Um, but you definitely feel better about it and feel different about it now, given that he's coming back. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, it, you do feel better that he's coming back. And it also, it, had he not, uh, signed his tender, uh, player option for whatever you want to call, whatever it's called, uh, for 2021, um, this, this Brody trade would definitely look a lot worse. Um, yeah. Oh, However, so though, you look, it's it still, it was painful in the moment. And, you know, you look back, I mean, with despite the fact that the Mets went 26 and 34 last year with two days to go in the season, they had a chance to make the playoffs. And it's hard not to think that they would have been there if, you know, you take five or six of those uh, Michael Waka starts and you have Michael Stroman making them. Yeah, exactly. You know, you think like, oh, you know, they probably end up winning three or four more games if if Marcus Stroman is, you know, pitching some of those games last year. They probably year. make the playoffs if Stroman's playing. But he and, opted out because COVID, that was his right. Yeah, and had they made the playoffs, who, who knows what would have happened. I mean, best out of Justin, three series, anything could happen. I think we've gotten us crap from people saying that if they made the playoffs, they would have won the World Series. I don't I'm not saying they would have won the World Series. I don't disagree that they would have had a chance, but we, we've been getting enough crap for that. Ross, um, I was more saying they could have won well, a round. I think at the time it was brutal for me, at least hearing it, because Stroman, a Long Island guy, we traded for last year two pretty highly regarded prospects, Anthony Kay, Simeon Woods Richardson, um, Anthony Kay is a pretty good reliever for the um, Toronto and Woods Richardson's a top 60 prospect. And when he opted out, he only started 11 games for us. So it's at that time I was like, wow, this probably wasn't the best trade. Also <laughs> right after Cindergard announced Tommy John this forced us to have Michael Waka and Rick Porcello be like full-time starters. They're now our two, three. That was the plan. Th- that's, th- they were supposed to be five, six, seven. They were supposed to be end of the bench starters. Now these guys are pitching right after DeGrom. Uh, the, it killed the starting rotation, and I think it really hurt the team. Um, like you guys said, he signed his qualifying offer. We get one more year of him, um, and now it looks better. Now it looks like, okay, so now we're really getting two and a half years Uh, Let's see what he's got. I think he's excited about Steve Cohen, both Long Island guys. Um, Fun fact about that day that Stroman opted out. The Mets gave up four home runs. They lost 16 to four (laughs) that game. It was just such a bad day. So looking back on it, not as bad, but at the time that was, that was painful. Yeah. All right. Uh, At number seven, we're going all the way back to the beginning of the year at a time where we thought sports were going to, going to sort of happen regularly as they always do and on january 16th 2020 carlos beltran got fired for his involvement in the houston astros cheating scandal uh the mets would ultimately replace him with louis rojas uh 
I mean, I, at the time, I was excited about the prospect of Carlos Beltran managing. All you all you heard about was how good he is with other players. I mean, he was a great player for the Mets. Uh, and, you know, seeing him go and seeing him, you know, seeing his, uh, you know, name and his career tarnished by this cheating scandal, it was upsetting. And, you know, to, you know, go one step further is uh, he ends up getting placed by, you know, relative unknown Louis Rojas. And Louis Rojas... Did not do I a mean, good he, job. He didn't do a good job. He wasn't, he was no Mickey Calloway. He wasn't that bad, but he certainly didn't do anything to impress in 60 games. Um, I can't say I disagree with the Mets' decision to bring him back for 2021 just because 60 I games disagree is with such the a Mets small decision to bring him back for 2021. And that's fair. Um, I'd say it's a small sample size. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that he's being brought back. I do think he'll be on a short leash. Uh, because he didn't impress in 2020. Sorry, I, I'm rambling. Somebody else talk. I just, it was the most Mets story in the history of Mets stories, right? <laughs> like, well, the manager that they hired, who was a beloved former player, got fired before he managed a game because he was involved in a cheating scandal. You, I mean, if you just like, you guys remember on South Park where they like had the, was it South Park or Family Guy where they had the, like the, some animal was generating stories for like Family Guy jokes. Like if you could have something generate like I think Met that was Storyline. on South Park. I think it was on <laughs> South Park too. But yeah, that that that's what this was. Like you couldn't have made up a more Met story ever. So I mean, I was disappointed, but at the time I'm like, he seems like this unethical human being. He was involved in this horrible cheating scandal. They called him El Jefe because he was the one behind it. Good that they got rid of him. Now I'm like, I just want a good manager. I want a great point yeah, about I, the whole sorry, Roscoe. Um I'm kind of on the opposite end. I think it's a bunch of bullshit. He they the fact is that the Wolpons completely mismanaged that situation, just like they mismanage every situation. There's the the Astros players that are playing this season didn't get penalized from it. So now this guy, who's a Mets pretty much legend, um, he was one of my favorite Mets players growing up, now loses the starting uh, losing loses the manager position. And so he's the only one that gets penalized, in, even though there's guys playing the MLB today that don't get penalized. I, I don't just, agree. He would have been suspended for the year. I feel very strongly about that. So Alex why would was he suspended because he was named in the documents. He was the only player named. They went out of their way to name him. He They called him El Jefe because he was the one behind the cheating scandal. He was like the ringleader. I, I he was also time. an easy scapegoat because he was retired. Exactly. Yeah, I, that, that's I, what he I would think have been too. So not going to throw the year guys under the bus. He, I, I think don't know if I totally didn't... agree with that. With who? And you know what? I, I, think I don't know if I agree with that statement because he was an easy scapegoat being that he was retired. Like all the other guys on that team were continuing their careers and they knew they had to name somebody. So they named Carlos Beltran because at the time they thought, oh, what can happen to him? He's already retired. Little did they know he was going to get an offer for a managing job and that it was going to cost him in that way. And now they the called Mets him the now- Godfather. Some members of the Astros <laughs> again because he was Beltran. a scape- He was an easy scapegoat yeah. because the- they called him El Jefe, the Godfather, the King, the and- Alpha Male in the building. So and now- they were afraid to approach him and express their disdain for the cheating scandal. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 now the Mets are now collateral damage, and now we are actually 
who's getting screwed over about the Astros yeah. scandal. And now we're the ones without a manager one month before the season starts. You guys got to remember, this is one month before the season starts. That's true. He's gone. And now we don't have a manager. So now these, these dudes now need to somehow be coached by a new guy. Luckily, I mean, Louis Rojas was in the organization. A lot of guys knew. Are him, we sure that's lucky? Cause he wasn't very good last year. <laughs> but well, it's better than I would say it's better than bringing in someone that the guys don't even know. I mean, at least he knew some of the guys he 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 had the respect. So it was I mean, is who's the right answer when you're picking a manager a month before the season? There is no right answer. It's true. Uh, I just I don't think they had a choice. He would have been suspended for the season. So what are you probably. gonna do? Yeah. Uh one thing I want to go back to is what you said, Adam. This was the most Mets thing ever. It's so true because they end up they end up in this hairy situation for something that had nothing to do with their team, like something Carlos Beltran did three years earlier when he was a player uh, for a different organization. Now means that the and Mets he was are in a different organization in between. Yeah, he was with the Yankees after that. Like you just you you couldn't make up a better Mets story. Yeah, I would. Uh, I was upset, but I wasn't surprised. I'm like, of course. Of course, the manager they just brought in, who was like one of their best players ever, is going to get fired and or suspended before he ever manages the game. Of course. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let, let's move on. Uh, so at number six, uh, we've got the first appearance for our wonderful football team, the New York Jets, the on this list. For uh, the Jets, we are going to October 1st of 2020. This was the Thursday night game against the Denver Broncos, where the Jets somehow, despite Denver having to travel across the country on a short week, starting third-string quarterback Brett Rippon, uh, lost to this Denver Broncos team. Uh, Ross, you want to take us off? I know you had some very strong feelings about this Thursday night debacle. Okay, so it's this is the battle of the 0-3 teams. The Jets are 0-3. The Broncos are 0-3. And this is this is the time to right the ship, make everything better, because Brent Rippon, famous Boise State alum, who was pretty good at Boise State, I'm not going to take that away from him, he's making his first NFL start on a short week on Thursday night, and the Jets completely blow it. And you got to remember, this was the game that started with the Darnold 46-yard touchdown run where – he looked like he was going down and he stumbled and he rumbled into the end zone. And you're thinking, oh, the Jets are going to win this game. We're going to turn it around. And we fall flat on our face. We score one offensive touchdown. <laughs> we kick five field goals. Brett Rippon throws three picks. It's his, it's his first NFL start. Of course he's going to throw three picks. And the Jets still lose that game. This is a fireable offense. How in – the God's name, Adam Gase, doesn't get fired from this game is beyond me. But now we know this happens and the season's going to be a disaster. And as we can see, it was a disaster. For a lot of people, this is when they realized the season was over. Not for me. I realized it was over at the very beginning of the season. Uh, but what I remember from this is like the day that Sam Darnold decided, you know what? I'm going to play like Lamar. And that's how I'm going to become a great quarterback. And then he immediately separated his shoulder. Of course, yeah. right? Well, like he just ran on every play and he, he looked great until he separated his shoulder. Yeah. And two other things for me about this game on, on top and Ross, I forget if you mentioned this or not, the fact that the Jets had a two possession lead in this game in the fourth quarter and allowed the Brett Rippon led uh, Broncos to come back and win this game, uh, which was just completely embarrassing. And again, it's a Thursday night game. You know, everybody in the, you know, everybody is watching it. It's on national television. Uh, but two other things again, as you said, Adam, uh, 
Sam Darnold separated his shoulder in this game, left the game, and then came <laughs> back in. Didn't like, Becton just, also have yeah, Becton exactly. also? Yep. Becton well, the hurt. thing that happened with Makai Becton. So Becton, I, I forget if he missed the game before this or got hurt in the game before this, but uh, he didn't start uh, this game. I believe they started a Doga at left tackle uh, uh, that night. And what they said was, we're dressing Makai Becton and he's only to be used in emergency situations, which in my opinion meant like, you know, big third down play, you need a sixth lineman, or, you know, maybe you're trying to protect a lead late in the fourth quarter. You bring him in, like, just like essentially limiting his playing time to only put him in, in like dire emergency situa- situations. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so then Adoga gets hurt on the first drive of the game. And what are the, what does Adam Gase do? He puts Becton in there and it's like, I'm sorry, but this is football. Guys get hurt all the time. That's not an emergency situation on the first drive of the game. Like the Jets, I believe, had dressed nine linemen for that game, knowing that like they had some injuries. Like put in one of the other linemen. Like this is a guy you took with the 11th pick in the draft last year. He's a guy you hope is going to be your stud left tackle for the next 15 years. Why are you doing this? And of course, he re-aggravated his injury in that game. Like this was just such... It was such a debacle on so many levels, this game. It, it was a completely fireable offense, and he didn't get fired. And it was – at then, I realized I cannot care about this team until Gase is gone. Until he's gone, nothing's going to change. And as we can see, nothing's going to change. It's a, we won two games, apparently. but Well, everyone then got very invested, not in how they played it and whether they're going to lose. It's going right. to uh, lead us to an entry a little bit later, Listen. Yeah, well, that that's true. I think uh, this the, after this loss, that was when people really started talking about. Like some people were like, "Oh, maybe they could be the worst team for Trevor Lawrence." After they blew this Denver game, everyone <laughs> was like, "Oh God, they they really have a chance really to be bad. the worst team in the NFL this year." As we found out, they were only going to be the second worst team in the NFL this year. But still, that this was the game where everyone was like, "Yeah, this is this isn't just a bad team. This is a a really really bad team, a ch- team that has a chance to be." historic I, you know the more i look back on this i'm almost wondering if do you think we had this maybe too low ross at number six like should this have been in the top five i i think it probably should be because this is uh, like i said this was the game that a we, we realized that okay we're tanking for trevor but also b that you know there were some people that were still backing adam Gase, which i <laughs> hated that from the second he signed i have a lot of friends that are dolphin fans and I knew he was terrible. I had that from the beginning. And there were, I have friends that were still backing Adam Gase up into this game. And I think this was the game that the, the whole fan base finally turned on him. It was, it was a monumental game in the, the, the Jets last two years. Yeah, it really was. Uh, all right. Um, let's, let's move on uh, into the top five and uh, at number five, uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna let Adam discuss this one because I know this one pained him greatly. We're going to March 24th, 2020, about a week before the original start to the uh, MLB season, and it was the day that we found out that Noah Syndergaard was going to need Tommy John surgery and was going to miss the entirety of the 2020 season. This just felt like a massive gut punch because I I don't know about how like the rest of the country felt, but as Met fans, we definitely thought that we had a real chance to win the World Series this year. We loved our rotation. We loved our lineup. We loved our young hitters. And we just thought we had more pitchers than we needed. And then Noah needed Tommy John surgery. And just these sometimes happen so randomly. Like we were a month before the season was supposed to start. It just, you're on ESPN for whatever reason. Just, oh my God, 
our star pitchers out, like we probably aren't going to win. Then you start thinking about, oh, well, they still have Strowman. They signed these guys. Maybe they could be, they have to crumb. Maybe they could still piece it together and have a really good team. And this is not the Mets season as, as our list shows, like just so many little things just added up. And this, this was the first thing, right? This is the first moment we realized this is probably not going to be our season. And we've had yeah. a lot of those. It was just, and I think it, what it sucks. And I think what makes this even worse and why it's totally deserving of a spot in our top five is that this doesn't just affect us for 2020 it affects us in 2021 because he's not going to be ready by opening day like they're saying hope they're hoping june but like who who knows when we and then usually see not him. the same for a couple months anyway yeah um, i mean and it, I mean, it also seen, i think it's a reflection on the whole met staff right i think all of their like golden generation of pitchers did a tommy john surgery right so he didn't he didn't initially come up with them but he's was in the organization long enough like is there a single one of their like their top? Not all of them ended up being great, like Matt. Like Matt's didn't end up being great, but he needed time. All of them needed, it, right? Hardy, Every single one. Degrom, Degrom. Matt, Cindergard, um, Wheeler. All of them needed Tommy John surgery. That that yeah. that's got to be the fault of the team, right? And what also what was just frustrating about this whole situation was Cindergard's coming off a career high thirty two starts, also a career high in ERA. Besides the point, but. We should have known, as Adam was just saying, we should have known that these guys break down. This happens, especially to a lot of our guys. And what happened, not discussed, but three months earlier, we let Zach Wheeler leave. He left for a division rival. And what was beyond frustrating about that whole situation was he came to the Mets and said, hey, the Phillies are giving me this four-year deal. You know, let's talk. I'm, you know, He wanted to say he, he, the Mets had a great pitching room great group of guys and he wanted to stay and he didn't hear anything from the Mets crickets. And it's just nuts to me that the Mets didn't even try and negotiate with this guy, try and keep him. And now, okay, we lose him. We, three months later, we lose Syndergaard. A few months later, Stroman's gone. And look what we're dealing with. We have Rick Porcello and Michael Waka as our second and third guy when we a couple months prior, we had Syndergaard and Wheeler. It was just, just a really upsetting situation, and I think that's a um, a theme with a lot of the things we're discussing. It's just it's so upsetting because we could have seen these things coming, and it's just hopefully Steve Cohen's going to change this because it was just it's a it's a common theme. Yeah, um, all the trainers. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's one of the things that was just so annoying about the uh, Wilpons is they didn't put a value on, you know, re-signing guys that came up through their system. And hopefully, again, that's something we we see that changes. Uh, and, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, Steve Cohen right now, he's saying all the right things. Uh, the Mets haven't done a whole lot this offseason, but a lot of guys haven't signed. So we will see what happens with that one thing I, w- I was hoping that would have happened by now. And I'm, I'm hoping it will happen before the start of the 2021 season is that uh, Michael Conforto gets extended. Uh, he deserves it. Um, the guy's a star. Uh, and you know, he, he should be a New York Met for a very long time. And this is the situation we just saw, as you said, Ross with Wheeler, that the Mets did not want to keep one of, I know technically Wheeler was traded for, for Carlos Beltran, but he essentially came up through the Mets system 
and he could have been a Met for a long time. Uh, the Mets didn't want to pay him. Uh, the Mets better pay Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto, he's one of the great young players in the game, uh, and it'd be a shame to it'd be a shame to lose him. I mean, he's he's a. I mean, honestly, outside of Mike Trout, I mean, it feels like Michael Conforto. He, he's about as productive as any outfielder in baseball. Like, I, I don't think it's really crazy to say. I mean, like a bright. I mean, is Bryce Harper that much more productive than a Michael Conforto? Like, go go out and sign him. Hopefully, well, Steve last Cohen year, does that. No, last year, no. Um, Conforto's had injuries and um, he's been up and down. Last year, he was definitely fantastic. One of the best players in all baseball, and if, but it feels like Conforto has turned a corner. I mean, you know, you look at when he was early in his career, he, you know, he even got sent down to the minors at one point, you know, had a terrible sophomore slump, but it, it feels like he's really settled. Hey, you in. don't it's have to give like it to me. Day. I love the draft pick. Um, the, 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 the reports on him were like, he's immediate, like when they drafted him, like he's immediately ready to come in and be a stud. And then right when they brought him up, he was great. And then he hit some struggles, uh, but I, I would definitely invest in him long-term. Yeah. Sorry. We, we sort of went on a, uh, yeah. What was up with there? We got off. I don't even know how we got there. Yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, anyways, we're about to get uh, into some serious stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm let's, let's gonna get, get my to box of tissues. Five. I'm, I'm looking I'm at the top. Excited. We're at the top yeah. four, and these are all the really bad four. events. Yeah, like, so really bad. Yeah, so number number four, uh, August second, two thousand twenty, and this is when Yoannis Cespedes opted out for the remainder of the season, and that's not just he opted didn't just out. Opt out. He not just opt out, he disappeared and no one in the New York Mets organization knew where he was. This was a Sunday game against the Atlanta Braves. He played in the Saturday game and then all of a sudden uh, they wake up Sunday morning. He's not at the hotel. He's just gone and nobody knows where he is, where he went. I mean, Adam, me and you were fearing the worst. Uh, you know, going we back say, to we, this, when, we, when we recorded, we couldn't say this, but we could say it now. Like, I thought he was dead. Right, like he didn't. Yeah. Seriously, like he completely disappeared. Didn't show up. No one could reach him. There's so many times where, like, that's the story, and then the end result is they find the person's body. Like, I was, I was literally. I, it was really I, we scary. Had a, we had a rule. We Justin and I share a Twitter account. We had a rule. We were not going to tweet about this. Like, the people were posting all these takes. I'm like, he's going to turn up dead, and we're going to look like jackasses. Like, this is awful. Like, I, I feel so bad. It was yeah. it was truly bizarre. Yeah, and I mean, this it turned was, out he just didn't want to play for the Mets anymore, so we yeah, could laugh about done. it. I think he realized he didn't have anything left in the tank. Like he had that great home run, that great moment on opening day, and that was about it. That was about the last. I think he was angry about his playing. I think he was angry about his playing time. Yeah, right. He wasn't uh, going to start in the well, outfield. The, or the problem DH. was when when the whole wild boar incident the year before, when that happened, it they reconstructed his salary for the following year and. He pretty he much should've. the only way he was able to make up more money was through incentives. And when he starts DHing, he's losing out on these opportunities for this incentive. So, yeah, he probably wasn't a little happy. Um, he didn't feel like he can reach the incentives. What's upsetting to me is he's 35. I think that's the end of his career. Who's going to want to deal with a guy with clearly off the off the field issues? He's old. He hasn't been good since like 2018. I mean, I think he's done. It's it's a sad yeah, I way. I can't to imagine see him anybody go. signs him. He was. I don't think he gets a contract. I don't. I think it'd be like a minimum contract. I think he plays. He, he was one of the best free agent trade deadline signings for the Mets ever, and it's just it's a sad way to see this go because he was he was our hero for a couple of years, and now it's eh, sad sad ending to to the Yoannis Cespedes story with the Mets. Yeah, it's definitely a shame how it uh 
how it ended. A couple uh, last notes. So if you go back to uh, in our feed and you find this at the podcast we released on August 2nd of 2020. Uh, so Adam and I actually recorded a podcast that morning. That was a Sunday. We recorded a podcast on Sunday morning before that Mets Braves game. And a lot, like I remember in that pod, like we were debating like how much playing time should uh, Yoenis Cespedes be getting? Should he be, you know, should they be benching him in favor of uh, Dom Smith? Clear the answer, yes. But point being is that all of a sudden he like, we don't know what's happening. We almost didn't release that podcast because we're just like, we talked about Cespedes so much. And like, as Adam said, he really just, we were fearing the worst. We almost just scrapped the pod. Uh, a couple hours after the game ended, uh, they announced that he was okay and he was just opting out of the season. And he, I guess he just apparently left the hotel in the middle of the night without anyone seeing, which is also weird and so Mets like that. Like, really, you're in the middle. You're in Atlanta. It's the middle of COVID. How do you not have security people like right. like monitoring Making their hotel rooms on my in? Right, yeah, like, like you're you not supposed to bring guests in. You're not supposed to leave and like go to a bar. And clearly, he COVID. left in the middle of the night because no one's, no one else in the franchise saw him. But, but it was also again from that standpoint such a Mets story because it's like, how did nobody see him? Like, I get that there must have been like a security camera in the hotel that saw him leave. But how was no one in the organization being like, Yoannis, you are not allowed to leave the facility. Go back to your room right now and at least like if he then leaves after that then there's a met security guy that's like yeah i had an exchange with Johannes cespedes last night at three o'clock in the morning he left on um you know with his under his own uh under his own volition and it's like that didn't happen though there was no like security guy with a story like oh i saw you on a cespedes leave. it's almost just like boggles the mind like when you think about it from that standpoint that like at the height of covid like they're on a road trip in atlanta georgia and just staying at some hotel and like nobody saw him leave in the middle of the night because all you heard was just they all woke up the next morning he and he died. was gone his hotel right. room was empty he packed up all his stuff and was just gone and clearly it, it affected really... the team because uh that day on august 2nd they lose to uh the braves 0 for 4 and they go like oh for i think it was something crazy like oh for 16 with runners in scoring position like like they were struggling with runners in scoring position before that like that uh that loss that day capped off a five game losing streak for the Mets, but uh like it, it again it was clearly an effect and it's an understandable effect because it's like we were fearing the worst like I can only imagine what his teammates that like actually knew him were fearing like playing that game that day. This Mets season, man, I feel like they really had to try to not make the playoffs given the amount of talent, and my God, did they try? Just going through this list is this was such a terrible Met season. I mean, there's a reason why we've gone through seven events so far, and uh, five of them, five of them, right? Yeah, five of them were Mets events. We're not done yet, <laughs> uh, but we are going to take a break. Uh, not a break from the pod, but a break from say, the we Mets have, for we a have, moment. We're doing commercials. We're getting paid now. That's great. News <laughs> to news to my ears. We're taking a Mets break for a moment because the number three moment does not affect the Mets. Uh, I, I actually thought um, this maybe could be number one, but Adam, Adam you talked me out of that. Uh, and we have I think there's a very three. clear number one. There's one event that made us all very sad, like yeah. like extremely sad. Yeah, so we've got the following event at number three. Uh, we're going back to March, March 2nd, 2020, and it's the Spike Lee Knicks debacle. Uh, Spike Lee 
He's the biggest Knicks fan on the planet, has spent an, uh, an obscene amount of money watching this miserable franchise over the years. And if you're the New York Knicks, let Spike Lee do whatever the hell he wants. And we find out the next morning after this game. And here's the crazy thing about it. So you go back to March 2nd, and it was actually a day that was like, a, it was the best day of the 20 before. Before the Spike Lee stuff happened, it was the best day of the 2019-20 season for the New York Knicks. They have this uh, big win over the Houston Rockets. Uh, it was, I think it was the first game after Leon Rose officially became the president of the team. Uh, RJ Barrett had his best game of his rookie season. And like you were actually, it was like the first time like you, for in a while, you actually felt kind of good about the Knicks. And then the next morning, uh, Spike Lee comes out and shares his accounts from the night before. Uh, which were that apparently for years, for whatever reason, Spike Lee would always go into Knicks games through the employee entrance. Why he did this, I don't know, but he's Spike Lee. Forever. Let him he do it if he forever. wants. Who cares? Forever. Yeah, who cares if he comes in through the employee entrance? And apparently there was this whole thing about how they wouldn't let him in and they were giving him a hard time. And then he go and they were like, you have to leave and go through the VIP entrance. He's like, I can't do that because my ticket was already scanned. And then uh, at halftime during the game, uh, he, they finally let him in and James Dolan comes up to him and grabs his hand. And then a grainy video comes out being like, Oh, look, we shook hands last night. And Spike Lee's like, I don't remember shaking hands with James Dolan. Like, it just seemed like, I don't know. There was so much like, seemed, stuff well, going I, on. The only take I have on this, it seems like James Dolan was like, I'm going to go up to Spike and shake his hand. Make sure you have it on one of our super secret cameras <laughs> that are in the rafters. That's the only explanation that makes sense. It's the only explanation because the only, uh, image of it was from a really weird angle he was like get the camera on i'm gonna shake his hand and then get the cameras off we need to make sure this looks like he's not mad at me yeah like which is Charles the only explanation because if because if spike lee's coming out being like i don't remember shaking his hand it was clearly that james dolan grabbed his hand it wasn't a mutual handshake like, like spike lee's probably just like get the hell out of here i'm trying to enjoy the game there's professional ways to handle the situation and then there's the knicks i mean you ruin a awesome night rj barrett's Tied his season high in points. We'd be Westbrook, Harden, D'Antoni coming back to the Knicks. I mean, that's a huge win. And you just completely embarrass yourselves. The Knicks put out a statement saying how wrong Spike Lee is. How do you do that? This dude is your biggest supporter. He's pretty much our mascot. He's yeah. he, he hypes up the fans. I mean, he's sitting courtside for every damn game no matter how bad they are no matter how good they there they are he's there he's their biggest supporter and you're going to put out a statement saying he's the wrong about an entrance i mean come on be an adult to have a conversation with him say hey you know it's a phone call it's a conversation you walk up to him you talk to him but you, you had to put out a statement about this i mean just completely embarrassing and just ugh, the dolan's the worst he needs to go for first the will ponds now it's now it's the dolan hate train coming I don't know. I think the Johnsons are worse owners. I mean, we can litigate that. So I'm a Ranger fan also. The point was this clearly wasn't handled the right way. Uh, it, embar- it was an embarrassing moment. This is coming off the Charles Oakley situation where Charles Oakley and James Dolan got into a screaming altercation and the police removed Charles Oakley and they're, you know, there's still litigation about it. Oakley was banned, right? Like how many of your, your former icons and current icons are you going to, fight with and kick out and i mean just come on yeah everyone else is bending over backwards for players and former players and you're 
forcibly kicking them out and getting into fights with the bet what entrance they're coming in i mean come on this is just this is nonsense yeah i mean just to compare it to like uh you know other like teams and celebrity fans like do you think the toronto raptor like if you're the toronto raptors aren't don't you let drake just do whatever i mean i mean put it this way the toronto raptors literally let drake like rub nick nurse's head whenever he wants like it's true and, they do. and then you have this situation with the Knicks where you're getting into fights with Spike Lee because he didn't want to come. And the, the crazy thing, too, is this was so easily could have been handled. Like, let him come through and be like, look, we changed our policy. We're sorry. You have to come in through the VIP entrance from now on. That, that's no, all that had no, to be done was no. afterwards. Spike Lee can come in the player's entrance. He's Spike Lee. But just have a conversation. The point being is, any, <laughs> any course of action other than the one they took would have been a better course of action. Putting out a tweet from Nick's PR, like blaming just, Spike Lee, that's not how you handle this. James Dolan does not have someone in his life who's just like, no, don't do this. Right? Like you have Clearly to have a not. little you have to have a little self-awareness. Right? Like, listen, <laughs> I have this blind side. I need to hire someone to just yell at me. And no, he won't he won't do it. It's like Andy Reid. Does I feel like Andy Reid at this point has just hired someone to do clock management for him. Like if you have this massive blind side. Just and you have a ton of money, just externalize it. Have someone just yell at you and tell you when you're doing the wrong thing. It's not that hard. Or you know what they maybe need? I, I think that with the Knicks, Leon Rose needs to take like a very subtle approach to this. So I was just watching the office episode where Andy Bernard is annoying yes. the crap out of Michael Scott. And Michael Scott, a, a person who has a remarkably low amount of self-awareness, says to the camera. I, I can't get this guy, Andy Bernard. I, I've never met someone with so little self-awareness and it's hysterical because it's coming out of Michael that's Scott's that's mouth. I think that's what episode. they need to do to James Dolan is they need to put some other buffoon, like like Leon Rose needs to hire some other buffoon to basically shadow <laughs> James oh, Dolan. the opposite of what I said. So instead of someone who is self-aware telling him what to do, like, like an even more extreme than James exactly. Dolan. So he, James Dolan can develop empathy by seeing that this other person is Exactly. I think him. that's what he needs because they probably tried the other thing and it hasn't worked. Like basically, if you want to compare James Dolan to Michael There's Scott, only which, one which other person unfair. who I can think of. There's only one other person. Ooh. And they also live in, they used to live in New York City and now they live in Florida. And they used to take up residency oh, the in Washington, D.C. Oh, no, the president of the United States. <laughs> That's the only other person who's more of a buffoon. Right? You'd have to have Donald Trump next to James Dolan at all times. I love it. Let, let, so let Donald Trump Dolan, be This the, guy's really an asshole. Oh, my God. So maybe, I so like maybe him, I need to hired, So if the Knicks hired Donald Trump to be the Andy Bernard in this uh, scenario, maybe, maybe This James could be Dolan a great there. SNL skit where Donald Trump and James Dolan are hanging out at Knicks games. And, Knicks ga- and James Dolan's like, oh, my God, this guy's a huge asshole. I need to stop. Oh man, maybe we cut this out of the podcast and I, I write this as a skit and send it to SNL. <laughs> well, I'm sure Lauren Michaels is uh listening. So uh, you know, That's if he true. rips he us he is- when he rips us off, we'll know where it came from. Yeah. Well, this will probably get ripped off on Twitter. We do get ripped off on Twitter. We don't have a ton of listeners, we have a good amount, but like every now and then we'll have whatever ideas just like someone else will randomly steal. So I'm sure this will get stolen too. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. We at least got a good laugh at that one. All right. Into the top two. Uh, so on number two, uh, on this podcast, we called it, uh, I think we said it was either the, uh, we called it a, a double dose of this. I think we called it a double dose of the Sunday scaries. And this was, uh, this is the worst day ever. Oh, uh, it was so bad. We're talking about August 30th, 2020. The, uh, the Mets get swept in a doubleheader by the New York Yankees. 
And in the first game of that doubleheader, the Mets blow, I believe it was a five or six run lead in the ninth inning, capped off by Edwin Diaz coming in and giving up a huge home run to Aaron Hicks. Uh, they, as expected, come out lethargic in the second game. They end up getting swept. This was so bad that actually, Adam, this was another case where uh, before the game, me and you, or sorry, before this doubleheader, we recorded a podcast that morning and we were very positive because the Mets, uh, they, they were playing relatively well going into, uh, like it seemed like they had turned uh, the season around. Um, like they had won three. This could of, be the start of something. And we yeah, said like they had over won, and over again, as long as they don't get swept, they should make the playoffs. Like Yeah, like they had won six, like going into that doubleheader, they had won six out of nine games. Uh, you know, uh, they had split the two games with the Yankees in the series. And we're like, you know what? Yeah, again, if they just split this doubleheader, we kind of, you know, like where they're going uh, moving forward. And not just they not just get swept in the doubleheader, but in such agonizing fashion like i i was in like a stupor for i don't know at least a few days after this like it got so bad we had to re-record a new like 10 minute intro for the pod because we're like if we don't do this, we reco- this podcast, yeah, we recorded it's gonna so, sound like, ridiculous and then i was listening to it later we had to re-record it again it was just it was bad it was a mess uh sorry uh ross uh <sighs> thoughts <laughs> i just uh, i'm surprised you guys had this at two i probably would have had really it. I probably the thing was yes it was I probably would have not had it it would be still in the top five but I think the thing with me was I mean yeah it was obviously terrible I mean but it's nothing we haven't seen any anything before this was was because it was the Yankees it was yes it was the Yankees so that hurt so much more and it was also so frustrating because before this series I think the Yankees lost like seven in a row it was one of their worst losing streaks in years and we were coming in pretty hot and to be up seven to two outs and then for Jared Hughes and Edwin Diaz to blow it. Yeah, that was painful. It was brutal. Um, but I, I don't know. Yes. It kind of screwed up the rest of the season, but was it, I don't know. Was it the top second worst thing? I think, I think there were a couple things worse. I think the Spike Lee debacle was worse. I think the Jets Broncos Thursday night game. I think that one hurt more. I mean, wow. I so, I I think this he, thing was. I'm I'm kind of I'm almost numb to these these. By this point of the season, I was numb to these Edwin Diaz thing, blown saves. It, well, you it know just, what I think it happens mi- too much. You know what I think you're missing here, Ross, is that. Again, they had won going into this doubleheader loss. They had won six out of nine. And this was also, it was a bizarre week. And if you remember uh, the Mets, they had the previous weekend, they were supposed to play the Yankees and the whole series got canceled because uh, Tomas Nito uh, tested positive for COVID and they come back. So they, they end up with this wacky scenario where they're playing five games in three days against the Yankees. And if you remember the Mets, they on the Friday night, they sweep the doubleheader against the uh, Yankees, capped off with the uh, the walk-off Ahmed Rosario home run. Uh, they lose on Saturday, and we're like, okay, they've won two out of three. If they just split this doubleheader, they win the series against the Yankees. They're on their way. They had won six out of nine. Like It really felt like they had turned their season around, and they were about to go on a September run and make the playoffs. And it just downward spiraled after this in a major way. So for me, this is when I realized that this, it just wasn't going to happen. Like, I, I know we've been made fun of by some of our friends, namely Tom, for consistently saying I'm during the season. Up. Yeah, but we, we would say, like, 
this is a very good team. They're underperforming. They should make the playoffs. They had one of the best rosters in the National League, if not all of MLB. And it just every time something happened, you have the Beltran, not the Belt, you have the Beltran thing, you have the Stroman thing, you have the Cespedes thing, you have the Syndergaard thing. And every time, you're like, yeah, they can still do it. They still have enough depth. They can still do it. And then after this moment, you're like, oh my God, it's just, it's just not going to happen. It just, it just sucked the life out of you. And it, it really, you had that little bit of hope, right? Because you had the Rosario game, like maybe the magic is back. Because we've seen them go on these tears and you thought the magic was back. It's like, oh, oh God, no, no, not at all. There's no magic. And this is actually one of the most disappointing Mets seasons of our entire lives. I actually would say last, I think that is top three most disappointing Mets season. Um, Probably. Uh, like 2006, think- 2016, like those are great. I mean, maybe those are more disappointing because – they could have won the World Series. But I mean, 2000, 2007 and eight were super disappointing as right. well. I don't know if it's top three most disappointing. It's top. It's up there, though. It, it was a really disappointing season, Depends especially how you, with the A playoff teams. Right. Right. Um, and as far as putting this at number two, to your point, Ross, maybe we put this a little high, but I think we were also a little irrational about this because we're in a bunch of uh, group chats with all of our Yankee fan friends. And I remember Tom specifically commenting after they got swept in this doubleheader. He's like, I don't know why you guys are upset. Uh, You won two out of five against a really good Yankees team. You shouldn't be upset about that. And I was like, did you see the fashion? We got into such a fight over Tom. We love you, but this was awful. Uh, At least in me and Adam's, maybe Ross would have had it lower on the list, but me and Adam felt strongly enough to put this at number two in our worst events of the year and a year where a lot of crap happened. Uh, it was bad. Not n- none of this is nearly as bad as number one. Number one is in its own category all by itself. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, the so saddest we, sports I've felt all year. Yeah. Um, before we get to number one, let, let's recap. Uh, I was going to say, do 10, we have, we, I thought we we're going to get ads. You keep doing these things where I think we're about to do an ad read. I'm disappointed. Uh, uh, in 2021, uh, we'll, 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 <laughs> maybe maybe we'll, we'll start making money on the pot and do some ad reads in uh, 2021. But um, all right. Uh, recap of 10 through 2. Number 10 was game two of the Mets season. Marcelo Zuna hits the home run off Edwin Diaz. Number nine was lottery night for the New York Knicks. Number eight, Marcus Stroman opting out of the season and uh, leaving the Mets with a terrible pitching staff. Number seven, back in January, Carlos Beltran being fired as Mets manager for his involvement uh, with the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Number six, the Thursday night debacle for the Jets against the Denver Broncos. Number five, Noah Syndergaard uh, needing Tommy John surgery and missing all of 2020. Number four, Ioannis Cespedes disappearing and opting out of the Mets season. Number three, the New York Knicks spike lead debacle. Number two, uh, the Mets getting swept in the doubleheader against the Yankees and Aaron Hicks hitting the home run off of Edwin Diaz, all leading us to our number one moment. Uh, some might say this is a bit, this could be a bit of recency bias. I don't think so because I was so upset about this. Uh, Adam, me and you were so upset about 20 minutes after uh, this became a realization. Uh, we'd had to do an emergency podcast. And what we are talking about is an event from just nine days ago, December 20th, 2020. The Jets beat the Los Angeles Rams and lose out on Trevor Lawrence. It's so funny. Do you, you realize in our outline you wrote Jets lose to LA Rams? Because that is what it, how it remains in our mind. It's a loss. You had one yeah. job as a team, right? As an organization. I'm glad I said had, it right. 
I, I am too. You had one job. There's a, a generational quarterback. You're in the driver's seat to get him, and you somehow managed to win two games in a row. Um, Especially this late it, in the season. It's not like they won. Like if they had beaten the Broncos back in week four, it would have been like, yeah, obviously in week four, you're trying to win games. Like there's too much season ahead of you to be like, okay, we, we need to lose all our games for Trevor Lawrence. Once you're in week 15, though, just lose your last three games. And like your franchise is so much better off. It, Trevor Lawrence is a once in a decade prospect. He's the, the last prospect that was getting this much praise was Andrew Luck almost 10 years ago this is you can't mess this up and it's well it's yellow luck and yes you can mess it up <laughs> this is the it, new york jets well and what i'm also equally mad about is sean mcveigh you're supposed to be the one of the best coaches in the nfl the bright young mind you can't outsmart adam freaking gase the dude's an idiot the, the, <laughs> we we don't have a defensive coordinator i can't stand the rams how are you not – you you have a fully loaded offense. You have Aaron Donald, and you cannot beat the winless Jets. It's inexcusable. It's embarrassing, not only for the Jets, also for, for the Rams. I just – oh, my God. It's just – I kept saying after that 0-3 um, loss to the Broncos, I kept saying – this is great. Adam Gase isn't going to be fired. We're not going to win a game. It's impossible to win a game with this dude coaching. And he screwed us one last time. Ah, just a once in a decade prospect down the drain. Do the, the devil's advocate though. So there's another way to look at the season where they had like historically bad injuries in the first five, six weeks. Like they're, they didn't really have an offense. And then they had the strongest you know schedule in the whole league by a good deal. And then they started almost winning games, despite the fact that they had Adam Gase and a bad quarterback. Um, so they almost beat Oakland. They did beat Cleveland. Cleveland is a good team. I know they didn't have any wide receivers, but they, they beat them. They were, they were competitive in games in the last, you know, six, and they seven, should have beaten the Broncos and they should have beaten the Patriots, right? This is not an Owen 16 team. So while I was really disappointed, I wasn't surprised. And I, I I've said the whole season that they were, going to win a couple games. And if the Jaguars didn't win another game, they weren't going to get Trevor Lawrence. So I was really upset, but they're there. This was not an Owen 16 team. They were better than that. Um, it, because Joe Douglas did a good job. I, I think that's pretty simple. And that's why Adam Gase will be fired after Monday's game, because even if they beat the Patriots this week, uh, this should have been a team that won five or six games, not the Absolutely. three and 13 record. And even though they might win the last three, a three and 13 record, that's underperforming because again, they should have won five or six games and that's got to go on your head coach. Like they should have been the Patriots. They should have beaten the Raiders and they should have beaten the Broncos at a minimum. They should have had those three wins. I think they're going to be I, to end on a positive note. I think they're going to be good next year. I would, I mean, I don't know if they'll make the playoffs, but I they'll win six, seven, eight, nine games. I feel very strongly about that. Even with a rookie quarterback, because you have the same um, team, but they'll have all these draft picks. They'll have all these free agents they bring. They'll have a better coach. And they'll probably have the easiest schedule in the whole league. I mean, this this team should be good. Imagine Adam Gase is back. Could you imagine? Oh, I don't even <laughs> want to think about that. Look, we just went through our 10 worst <laughs> moments of 2020. Uh, hopefully, though, this means there'll be a better 2021. I mean, trying to think optimistically about the future. Uh, I, I think we like Joe Douglas. The Wilpons are no longer the owners of the Mets. And I think we like Leon Rose. Yeah, I love everything the Knicks are doing. 
And even so, Julius Randle, who I've been really down on, is like he got a triple he double. A triple tonight. double tonight. Yeah. I mean, he's All right. he's dishing times. Yeah. So last thing on our list. So Ross, do you agree with this as the number one selection? Oh yeah, this is a hundred percent the number one selection. Um, I do want to note a couple things you guys I don't want to say missed, but didn't include. Um, first of all, the Adam Gase effect, complete alienation of the whole team. Um, we can't forget about Le'Veon Bell playing one game this year, getting hurt, and then see you later, Le'Veon Bell, our marquee free agent signing from last year, not even halfway through his four-year, $52 million contract. Plays it was a two-year deal. There was no penalty deal. to it. Oh, okay. but there was, you could have cut him after two years. Right. It you could have cut it after two years. Fine. No penalty. Fine. He played one game this year and see you later. I mean, brutal. Then in August, the Dolphins are going to cut Kalen Balaj. They're going to cut him. It comes out. There's news that they're going to cut him. But yet Adam Gase wants him so bad that he's willing to try and give up a pick to get him on the Jets team. He then fails the physical, so the Jets can't trade for him, and he gets cut anyway. The Jets sign him. He plays three games with the Jets, and then he gets cut anyway. What upset And then me about succeeds this, with the Chargers. Then succeeds about with the Chargers, which was bizarre in its own self. But we we uh, we drafted a rookie, Lamichael Pirine, during this three games that Balash played. He played ten snaps. I mean, I just how are you not going to let the rookie play? Um, and then the last thing with Adam Gase was this I just thought was hysterical when the Jets traded Jamal Adams, which was, I guess, a good thing to come out of this yeah. year. And Adam and I debated putting this picks. on the list. I, I said uh, not to include it because I thought it was thing. awesome. I loved it in the moment. I'm even happier about it now. I agreed. I think it was it worked out great. Two first round picks are looking nice, but I just thought it was hysterical when everyone knew that. Gase and Jamal Adams didn't like each other, but after the trade happens, um, Jamal obviously comes out and says that, yeah, me and Adam didn't agree. Adam Gase then acts surprised that they, that Jamal was unhappy with him. Adam Gase thought him and Jamal Adams were pals. I don't know how he would have ever thought that they were pals when everyone in the world knew they didn't like each other. Um, Another thing to note that didn't make the list, Joe Douglas not re-signing Robbie Anderson, that was kind of a screw-up. That was his first chance yeah. to, to make a make a good statement, and he didn't re-sign him, and Robbie Anderson's had a good year. Um, and my last note that didn't make the list that I was shocked in February, it came out that negotiations fell through, and Steve Cohen was not going to buy the Mets. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you guys remember, but when – the, um, the Mets so-and-so kind of agreed. And then there was a clause that Jeff Wolpon would maintain control over the team for five years, even though Steve Cohen had owned 80% of the team. Absolutely nuts. The deal fell through. I was beyond depressed. Um, and while, yes, we know Steve Cohen now owns the team, that was terrible. That was brutal. I don't. I can't believe you guys didn't include that. So we discussed uh, po- possibly including that. The reason we didn't was we felt that he ended up with the team anyway. And not only did he end up with the team, but it ended up to be a better situation because not only did he end up with the team, but he ended up with the team and Jeff Wilpon wasn't going to be the team president for another five years, <laughs> which was originally reported. 
And on top of that, yes, it did hurt in the moment, but it was, it was very quickly, at, at least in my mind, very quickly apparent that even though it might not be Steve Cohen that buys the team, somebody else is going to yeah, buy the New York Mets. Like it was very clear that the Wilpons were not going to, they just didn't have any money, at least not, you know, baseball ownership money. And, and they, they were, were going to have to cash sell. in, right? Like they, they were like trying to stay owners for a really long time after they lost all their money. Um, and it was like a year to year thing. It just seemed like they needed the cash and they just couldn't keep it going anymore. Yeah. Which is the main, but I mean, the, I think of the ones you brought up, that's that, that's the one that's, you know, the closest, that was the closest to making our list. <sighs> All right. 2020, hopefully 2021 will be better before we sign off. Uh, we've got one last jet game, uh, which I guess technically will take place in uh, 2021. Uh, mm. But we have our week 17 NFL picks. Uh, this was our uh, first season uh, with a podcast making NFL picks. And one thing me and Adam learned is uh Vegas knows what they're doing, and it's hard to pick NFL games. Uh, Through 16 weeks, picking four games a week, I'm 30, 32, and 2. Adam is 28, 34, and 2. So he's got to pick off uh, two games uh, for me this week to uh, tie me for the season. Uh, The first game we're going to discuss, our uh, Jets at the New England Patriots. Uh, Patriots are uh, three-point favorites. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, Based on what happened uh, last night against the Buffalo Bills, it feels like – Bill Belichick is ready to move on to next year, get some of his uh, opt-out guys back, uh, you know, get a new quarterback in. And uh, it feels like the Patriots have totally quit. Um, I think the Jets win this outright. You're giving me points. Uh, Give me the Jets plus three. Yeah, I'm also taking the Jets. So back when we thought that the uh, Jets were going to lose to the Rams in Cleveland, I was saying that this was the game I was worried about because I thought the Jets were going to win. New England doesn't look good and, they don't have a quarterback who can throw more than three yards. So I, I, I think the Jets went out right. So you're giving me points. Delightful. Ross, which way are you going in this one? Yeah, begrudgingly, I'm going to take the Jets and the points. New England looks bad. Their season's Dunions. We're, we're gonna, I'm going to begrudgingly ride with you guys in the Jets. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this Tuesday. And I, I wouldn't be supply, surprised if by game time this, this ends up shifting to like one, one and a half points. I just feel like there's going to be a lot of Jets money on this. And again, we're in a situation where – the Pats can't screw the dread the Jets out of a you know a draft pick. Like the Jets are locked into the second pick in the draft, so w- why not try and win the game? Uh, next game, uh, the other AFC East game this week is the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are favored by one point. Uh, I'm going to be going Miami in this one. Uh, obviously, one point spread, so I think Miami's winning the game. Outright. Um, here, here's my thought with this one. Uh, Buffalo is going to be the two or the three seed in the AFC playoffs. Uh, you look at the wild card teams, whether it's you know Miami, Baltimore, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Tennessee. All these teams are pretty good teams. Uh, I don't think there's a huge difference in who you're going to end up playing if you're the two or the three seed. Uh, Buffalo's coming off a short week. And if they end up with a Saturday game on wildcard weekend, that's another short week. Knowing that they might have to play back-to-back short weeks, I I, I don't think McDermott goes all out to win this game. I think he'll be fine getting the three seed. And if that means having to go to Pittsburgh in round two, so be it. Uh, I'm going Miami for all those reasons I mentioned above. I think Buffalo wins. I don't see why they're going to stop trying here. Um, I don't remember the last time that they lost. They're, I think, 12-3. and 13-3 sounds are. even better. I don't think they're going to ease down heading into the playoffs. Um, I've also been bit by Miami a couple of times. I'm, I'm not picking them. 
Fair enough. And Ross, which way are you going? What scares me is we don't know who's starting for Miami. I'm hoping it's Fitzmagic. I'm taking Miami. Oh, you are? Oh, I, th- I thought you were going uh, Buffalo with the way uh, you prefaced that one. Uh, interesting. No, okay. I, I, I like me I like me some Fitzmagic. Did, did you see that game-winning throw we made? I, he, Fair he's enough. He's the dude. He's the and guy. he had a great week 17 last year. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers are at the Cleveland Browns. Uh, clearly, uh, Vegas does not think uh, Pittsburgh is going to be playing anybody in this game because Cleveland coming off a Jets loss and having their whole receiving corpse on the COVID list are favored by nine and a half. Uh, I'm going to hope that uh, those receivers come back. I I do think Cleveland, uh, sorry, Pittsburgh will rest everybody. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, hasn't had a buy or had a super early buy because of uh, that Tennessee situation at the beginning of the year. I, I think Pittsburgh wants to rest everybody. I think they already announced Ben Roethlisberger is not going to play. Uh, I think Cleveland wins and wins big. Uh, not to mention Pittsburgh couldn't end up playing Cleveland in round one, and they're not going to want to show anything. Give me Cleveland minus nine and a half. I just think Pittsburgh wins. I don't know why. I just have a feeling in my gut. Cleveland looked really bad. That's a lot of points. Um, I Also, Cleveland doesn't score a lot, so they could be in control. They could be running the ball, and Pittsburgh still covers. So I'm going to take Pittsburgh. Fair enough. And Ross? It's an ugly game. I think we don't know what's happening with the Browns receivers, but with that said, they just lost to the Jets. I think they come out shots firing. I'm taking the Browns. All right. And uh, there wasn't a great choice for the fourth game this week. Uh, but uh, I figured this was maybe the most relevant. I don't know. Uh, we went with Tennessee at Houston. Tennessee is favored by seven and a half points. Tennessee needs a win to claim the AFC South crown. Uh, on the other hand, Houston has no reason not to play. Uh, very frustratingly, as a Jets fan, Miami has their first round pick, which uh, right now would be the fourth pick in the draft, uh, which is frustrating because Miami is a, if they're either going to be a playoff team or a borderline playoff team that won 10 games this year. Uh but um, despite Houston not having a reason to lose, uh, I know Tennessee uh, got beat up by Green Bay last week, but Tennessee's been resilient all year. Um, they have a chance to win the AFC South. I think they do that. Um, I think they win and win by at least eight points. So I'm taking the Tennessee Titans in this one. I'm taking Tennessee too. I think they win by, by a lot. They really, They clearly need this game, and they're a much better team. I'm going to go contrarian. I'm going to take Houston. Give me the touchdown with the hook. Well, considering we buy a uh, a six-pack uh, for anyone that beats us in the picks, that was the smart way to go, Ross, because that it will is. give you the, the chance to win. Uh, all right. Well, that wraps it up uh, for, for our final planned podcast of 2020. Uh, we want to... Thank all the listeners, uh, all the listeners, all the guests, uh, all the Twitter followers. Uh, if you ever, you know, w- w- want to come on and, uh, you know, fight me and Adam on whatever, you know, Mets, Jets or uh, Nick's issue it is, uh, you know, reach us, you know, message us on Twitter. I saw these two guys who listen to us from Ireland. We'd love to have you guys on. Yes. Yeah. Whoever's listening to us in Ireland, uh, you know, re- either uh, reach out to us on, on Twitter. Twitter or born in 87 pod at gmail.com. But uh, as we said, um, uh, you know, we were just really happy that we were able to uh, launch the pod in 2020. Um, we're going to bring you a lot more great content in 2021. And Hopefully. just again, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. And, you know, just we hope that 2021 is a better year. Uh, and just again, thank you. 